Welcome to another episode of I Hear You. I'm Odell Cleveland, and I just want to thank everyone for joining us. And for those who follow us on Facebook and Twitter, you can follow me on Twitter at Odell Cleveland and my good friend and partner in crime, Alex. Alex, how can they follow you on Twitter, sir? Well, Alex McFarland, and on Facebook, Rev, R-E-V, Rev, Alex McFarland, and just all those social media places people can find you and me. All right, Rev Alex McFarland, my partner in crime. You can also visit us on IHearYou.show. Get you some swag, you know, the dog tags, very fashionable. And the good thing about this show, we always talk the hard conversations and know the difference between hearing and listening. You know, Alex, a lot of times as pastors, we deal with church folks and, you know, we get in and out of hot water with the flock and all these good things. And sometimes you sit in sister so-and-so's seat and the pews and all that. You know, we have a lot of that in the black church, and I'm sure you all may or may not have it in the white church, but how, how do you deal with that part as being a pastor? Yeah, you know, I was going to ask you that, Odell, if in the black church you've got these things, man, if you get on somebody's turf or, or you you cross some invisible line you didn't know was there, you'll be in trouble. I was a youth pastor, and I hadn't been a uh, youth pastor too long, and in the youth room— I mean, over in one corner was a table with a bunch of junk on it, you know, and we're trying to make it appealing to teenagers, you know. So there's a coffee pot. Now, I'm a naive, like 25-year-old guy in youth ministry. So this coffee pot had all this calcium and junk in it. Clearly, it had not brewed a pot of coffee in, <laughs> in anybody's lifetime. Okay. I threw it out. A couple of days later, the pastor calls me. He goes, Alex, I need you to come to my office. I'm like, what's up? And I go in there, and there's a couple of little old ladies in there. I didn't know that aged, cobweb, rusty coffee pot was apparently a holy object that I had thrown out. And the youth pastor's head was on the chopping block. You know what wow. I mean? And, you know, the funny thing about it, um, I learned that in the church— I don't know about the black church, but uh-huh. down in the Bible Belt, man, if if it's got somebody's name on it and a plaque and Aunt Susie's 50th wedding anniversary of 1962 and they gave a coffee pot, you better not touch it. And it's just, it's just kind of funny because we we forget the main thing, which is the Lord. And we get focused on these lesser things, and uh, it gets weird sometimes. You know, it's interesting. You got called to the principal's office, Alice. You got called to the principal's office to say, what did you do with that pot? How do you think they knew you got rid of the pot? And, you know, a lot of times in churches, people are like, well, that's such, such purchase seat. And in some cases, not in the church that I attend, but in some churches, you go in there and there's plaques on the seat. Oh, yeah. In memory of... Alex McFarlane, and everyone know you don't sit in that seat. So it's like, how can we work, welcome people to the house of the Lord, but we have rules. You don't sit in this seat. You don't sing that song. That's my song. You don't do this and you don't do that. And as someone who's not a believer, they probably look at us and said, oh my God. Oh, I know. I mean, because you know what? Look, everybody's got plenty enough baggage. And in, in the church life, you know, we don't want to make it more stressful because, you know, when you think about it, look, let's be thankful we even have a pew to sit on. Let's be thankful we've even got a coffee maker to make some coffee. And uh, I jokingly, I, I replaced the coffee pot in the youth room. And I told, I said, tell them it's got a plaque on it and the, and the name Proctor Silex. You know, and, 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 and but the, the lady, she was like, okay, well, thank you. 
Um, I said, Proctor Silex, that's the, the plaque on the coffee pot now. There's a name. Gotcha. So, you know, it's interesting. We have um, a good, good friend of ours, and we talk about stuff in church and everything, and just the whole difference between Odell, your church, and my church. So church is funny for pastors. We know church is very, very funny sometimes, but it's so real. It is. It is. Hey, I got to ask you a question. Yes. All right. I'm going to cue this up and I'm going to ask you Homer and the Iliad, very famous piece of ancient literature, To Kill a Mockingbird mm-hmm. uh, by Harper Lee, Brave New World by Aldous Huxley, Of Mice and Men by John Steinbeck. I like that. Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain. Uh-huh. What do all those books have in common? Do you know? Probably that all those books are, have been cited and they're not being taught in school anymore for some of the perceived racist language inside them. I would think. Now, this is just a guess. This is a guess from the good-looking, smart, intelligent black man of the show. Exactly. Well, you're right. Yeah. Um, they are on the ever-growing list of banned books, and there's other art, and there's music. Uh, cancel culture. Now, I'm sure everybody listening to this probably has heard the, the phrase cancel culture. My question to you, and we can talk about some examples of cancel culture, but my question, do you think cancel culture, with its reach into almost every area of the Western world, is cancel culture ultimately hurting the cause of racial progress? Hmm. Good question. You know, it's interesting. It's almost like you've seen the spelling bees. Yeah. And you ask the word and then the individual say, can you use it in a sentence? Hmm. Can you uh, define it? What's the origin and all that kind of good stuff? But I'm going to answer your question and then I'm going to tell you why. The question is, do you feel cancel culture is helping or hurting the movement to end racism? I would say cancel culture is not hurting the movement to end racism. And let me explain why. First thing, ending racism versus bringing people aware of racism. My understanding of cancel cancel culture, and I'm sure everyone has a different understanding of it, is that, you know, it's the modern day, in my mind, equivalent of boycotting, but with the internet, it's like you can call people out um, for anything. If someone says something that you don't like or something that you don't think is uh, appropriate, and my understanding of it is, you know, it got real big in the Me Too movement, but it started on Black Twitter. Interesting enough, Black Twitter. And that's, that's a big deal, man, because if I'm a celebrity and I say, whatever, and someone like, oh my God, that's offensive. He's just, let's cancel him out. Let's, let's quit buying, quit supporting, quit doing this. And it's just interesting how it goes to that point. Now, is it racist comments in the books that you uh, viewed? Yes. That you listed earlier? Yes. However, from Dr. Seuss to anybody else, I don't think everything need to be thrown out because it's a term, Alex, and it's like, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. So that's my views. I think that cancel culture helps make people more aware of racism, but I would love to hear your views on it. Well, I, you know, I get nervous anytime 
a, a group in power polices what people are allowed to think. Can't, um, you, there's the phrase free market ideas, the free market of ideas. And really in our uh, liberal culture, now the, the term liberal, not in terms of liberal politics, but in terms of a plurality of ideas. I mean, what American free speech has been about is, look, you can say anything or believe anything, just be prepared to defend it. Now, there, there are boundaries. I mean, you can't yell, yell fire in a crowded movie house and people get trampled. Free speech doesn't um, give you the right to what the law would call reckless endangerment. But when you've got, like, To Kill a Mockingbird, I mean, that is a classic novel against racism because um, Atticus Finch, the attorney, defends a black man falsely accused of rape. Um, and what, what really, I think... First of all, I, I absolutely think cancel culture is harming racial progress because it is galvanizing people. Now, Odell, there's an old phrase, to a man with a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Yes. To the social justice warriors who are darned and determined that everybody is a racist, everybody has bias, and everybody has to become woke. And so we've got to go through and censor... It's first of all, our culture is dangerously becoming sub-literate anyway. And all of the great art and literature and music that causes people to think and grow. And part of the way we learn is you create cognitive dissonance, you create disorder, and then you introduce new order. We're we're just like when, about three years ago, ISIS destroyed the ancient city of Palmyra, a world heritage site, one of the great sites of ancient art and architecture. And ISIS goes in there because they, don't, they, they can't tolerate anything that's not their view of Islam. So they decimate the city of Palmyra. That is what the social justice warriors are doing to America. We're losing the art, literature, music, and education that, yes, sometimes it raises uncomfortable issues, but the cancel culture is censorship. It is viewpoint discrimination, and that's completely contrary to what America was based upon. You know, it's interesting that we definitely disagree on how we're looking at this, but that's what this show is all about, and I'm sure our listening audience um, may or may not well, I'm sure some agree and some disagree. It was a time in our culture where we call it a gaffe, G-A-F-F-E-E, -E, yes. where someone said something that, in my mind, they really meant it, but they didn't mean for it to come out because it wasn't politically correct. Right. And our current president, um, President Joe Biden, I remember back in the days, it's like, okay, if he's speaking, it's going to be a gaffe. If he's going to say something, Uncle Joe's going to say something, and that's just the way it is. So we all accepted that. But now it's a situation where the debate over the so-called cancel culture, where prominent people, you know, face attack for sharing controversial opinions. So people don't want to say anything, um, you know, the Dixie Chicks. You know, that, that whole name, antebellum, uh, all those things. And I remember, Alex, and this is why I vehemently disagree with you on the fact of, uh, by the way, I, I like um, To Kill a Mockingbird. I like Addison Finch also. I think that 
he was just just that guy. But at the same time, the whole culture there was such that a white woman can say that this black man attacked her, and that's all it took. It wasn't no evidence, and I think it was in a time when, with everything happening, the young man in, uh, from Chicago who went down uh, south and they say he said something, he got killed and beat and all this kind of stuff. Um, his name slips my memory right now, but it definitely come back to me. But those are the type of things. And let me see, I'm hopefully, if everything works out, I will be 61 years old next month in May. Praise God. So, yeah, exactly. So now all of a sudden, when I was nine years old in a all-black community, I remember picketing the red and white. Meaning red and white was a local grocery store. We had red and white and Piggly Wiggly. Oh, yeah. And red and white at the time, 90% of their customers were black, but they wouldn't hire any black employees. So I remember us picketing. I remember the signs, walking up and down, you know, red and white's not fair, da-da-da-da. Well, some would say that that was cancel culture. I hope it was. Then I remember at 17 years old, star basketball player on a state championship high school basketball team when we boycotted practice. I called for a boycott of practice because I didn't believe in others that the coach was treating the black players um, equally to the white players. So, you know, and I remember back in the days when I moved into corporate America, um, I had a sales manager, and this is so interesting now when I think about all this, um, and he would always say, Odell, you don't participate in activities and all this stuff, and always had something to say, and later on you found out that he was very much a racist, but he was he was smooth with it. He was corporate America in a suit, uh, all this kind of stuff, and I remember one day I said, okay, to myself, and this is what culture does, to myself, I said, I'll prove to him. So we had a George Strait concert at Greensboro Coliseum. Okay, so his thing is, we need you to get, and this was told me, we need you to get some white clients to come to George Strait, Odell, because I don't know if you can entertain white clients. Well, you know, I'm a Christian. I got saved at the ripe old age of 25. And so I didn't do a lot of things that a lot of salespeople would do. I didn't go to the strip clubs. I didn't go hang out at places that, you know, go get drunk, but some of the clients want to do. I refused to do those things. And I know that my boss sat down with me and he went through, okay, you can't call on Joe Blow because Joe Blow likes to go to the strip club. You can't call on such and such person because such and such person want to go to the bar. All those things now that in this culture you would say, that's crazy, but it happened. It happened. It happened. And so now when we went there and I got two white females, meaning that I had clients who were white, who were females. And I said in both interesting, both of them was from Asheboro, North Carolina, Randolph County. And I said, OK, I have tickets to George Strait concert. I would love for you to come as my guest of my company. I won't mention the company name, but I will meet you there. Right. I will meet you there. And both young ladies showed up, had a good time. George Strait concert. Thousands of people in the Greensboro Coliseum. It might have been three black folk. Right. Me and maybe some other black guy in the janitor. Right. So we went there. Then the next day, and this is what what is the next day, he came in and announced to everybody. Odell had two white women at the George Strait concert last night. Wow. And and you know that's the kind of stuff that cancel culture and racism eases his way in. And this is corporate America. And I said to myself, self. 
what are you going to do? Because the good thing about it is, and, and I'll hit this last one because I know it seems like I'm on a soapbox, no, but I am, that. I am. And I remember I had some clients, we went to NASCAR. Now, that's NASCAR way in the days before NASCAR was woke, before NASCAR was um, conscious, whatever. And I remember the clients telling me, well, okay, now, you're going to go and it's going to be 100,000 white folks at NASCAR down in Charlotte. And they're going to be throwing chicken bones and all this kind of stuff. So, <laughs> so no, no, so in my head, I'm thinking, okay, what happens, Odell? You go down to Charlotte NASCAR, 100,000 white people in there, one Odell in there, and a chicken bone hits you in the back of your head. What are you going to do? So those are the type of, when you talk about culture, those are the things that people are coming out of, people have had the experience of. So a lot of times when you say, Odell, we're going to, why go back and change uh, Uncle Tom's Cabin? Why go back and change all these classics? Well, it was a classic, but for who? Who was it a classic for? And let's just say, Alex, that all the facts wasn't right. The way Uncle Tom was portrayed, the way Addie's Fence was portrayed as the Great White Hope, the way uh, other people were portrayed, you know, so how about correction well, instead of cancel? But, but in a free country, you don't like it, you don't have to read it. In a free country, if it was incorrect history, then you write a better history. And uh, let me say the example of boycotting the red and white that, that's not really cancel culture. I mean, in a free market economy, you can speak with your dollars. For instance, I literally, I would die before I would wear a pair of Nike shoes again. I used to buy- Why? Why you don't like, what, what did Nike do to Alex? Uh, first of all, um, by um, the, the Satan shoes that- the Satan shoes, That okay. Montero Hill, AKA Lil Nas X, did. Go ahead, Alex. Yeah. Okay, you in hip-hop? I didn't know you were in hip-hop, my friend. Well, well, now, while we're talking about hip-hop and rap, let me ask you this. <laughs> um, all right, Ice Cube and a lot of, lot of rappers from, from the, the well-known, the mainstream, like, like Ice Cube and Snoop, uh, down to some very unknown. Uh -huh. If we're going to do the cancel culture thing, uh -huh. all right, are you going to cancel N.W.A.? Are you going to cancel all those hip? Great questions. The hip hop stuff. They talk about popping a cap in in and the police and everything. And the yes. and what? Because I mean, it, there's no end. Censorship is not what America is about. Look, if if you find something offensive, turn the channel. If if somebody who is an artist um, says something that's incorrect, then produce something that's better in the free market economy and. Uh, excellence wins and cancel culture is really policing what people are allowed to think what really and and this this is um the warning if you look at history uh -huh. I mean, if you look at germany if you look at russia if you look at china if you look at uh, certain south american countries whenever what people are allowed to think or allowed to know about is controlled, I mean, it might be 10 or 20 or 50 years, what you end up with is a totalitarian culture, a dictatorship. And so the, the risk of a free America, and, and I would argue that with our Declaration, Constitution, Bill of Rights, and certainly civil rights legislation of the 60s, you've got equality. Now, 
And I can tell you and I have had so many conversations. There are things that you experienced along your journey that have hurt you deeply. And I get that because it, it comes out and it's my heart often goes out to you because I, I know of painful things you've gone through. Um, there are things that you've observed that have been in unjust. But the the answer to fix it is not take away American liberty uh, because we can't, what America can't promise anybody. I cannot promise a young person you will never find something that you deem offensive. I can't promise you you're never going to get your feelings hurt. I cannot promise you that somebody's not going to treat you like a jerk. But what I can promise you is, unlike any other nation, not only in the world now, but in history, you have the opportunity to rise above it, work your butt off, and go places. And what cancel culture is doing, it is not going to set people free, and it's it's not going to give people a life where they never get their feelings hurt. Cancel culture is ultimately going to take away the constitutionally guaranteed freedoms that gave you liberty. And, and so I, I want to say, before you play this cancel culture card, understand you better apply it to the black world too. If you're going to cancel out all the mistakes of the white world, uh, hey, look, you could spend 10 lifetimes trying to clean up racism and bigotry in rap and hip hop, and you'd never get it done. So real, are you prepared to apply this, this medicine equally? Mm-hmm. It's interesting for someone who is black, who's not a hip hop fan, but I'm, I'm, I'm impressed with your um, litany of hip hop artists and what they say and, and not say. But back to your question, because I think it's important to question. You know, remember when you went to the family union and you had the crazy uncle who would say anything? Oh, yeah. You know, and everybody just ignored him. Well, now the crazy uncle is behind a screen that thousands of people are hearing and we have trolls. And is, is a troll a fan or is a troll a fiat fanatic? So yeah. is it a fan or a fanatic? And when you think about it, everybody want to be politically correct. And then you go to the whataboutism that if we're going to do cancel culture, we have to go back and... In, uh, what's the name of the group? Uh, N- NWA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, th- there were a rap group back in the late 80s. Right, exactly. So again, I'm not I'm not a hip-hop fan. I'm not a it, rap I, fan or nothing like that. I know every black person's not a rap fan, but and that's not what you're saying. But let me say this. You talk about a free America and that if we're going to do cancel culture, we need to look at it from a black perspective also. You're absolutely right. From a black perspective, I look at it as that in a lot of the culture, we were never free. And let me explain. A lot of the history goes to those who won or who were in power, who was in charge. One of the best days of my life is when the John C. Calhoun statue in the uh, Marion Square in Charleston, South Carolina, came down. That's something that is in, you say, well, that's uh, cancel culture. No, it's not. No, it's not. In my opinion, and it's only my opinion, and I don't speak for all black people and you don't speak for all white folks, is the fact that a lot of that stuff shouldn't have been there in the first place. Now, that's Odell's opinion. But the thing about it, Alex, I remember when we were in high school, and again, we we did well in high school, won state championships, college, won national championships. And we would come out and warm up. 
and people just boo us. You know, they booed us. And they didn't boo us because they didn't like us. They booed us because we're the opposing team. And usually nobody boos a bump, meaning that if you're not good, people pay you no attention. But the thing about it, when you start thinking about cancel culture, you had the representative, I think his name was Harley, H-A-W-L-E-Y, and the fact of all the backlash that he got with the anti anti-Biden votes and having his book dropped from Simon Schuster. You have people now talking about banning Abraham Lincoln, George Washington, uh, of course, Dr. Seuss. And, you know, either way, the notion of canceling, you know, for me is not the problem. It's the substitute boycott for canceling. And we talked about boycotting and happy about the Montgomery bus boycott. You know, you think about Charlotte, North Carolina with the bathroom bill. That that's that people in North Carolina folks are still upset about the bathroom bill HB2. and how that yeah, and how that turned into a political cancel culture that people like, you know, that shouldn't have happened. That cost one governor, in my opinion, his seat. But yeah. that's just how it is because at the end of the day, you and I both know that Anybody can say, back in the days when we had newspapers, I don't like what saying, so I'm canceling my subscription. I'm canceling this. I'm canceling that. As pastors, we know that church folk get upset and say, I'm canceling my membership. They don't say it like that, but they move to another church. Or, or they know, say, I'm not going to give my tithe. Well, I'm not going to give my tithes and my offerings. So they vote with their wallet. Yeah. You know, it's interesting talking about pastors. Something that came up to you and I talked about a little bit is the pastor of... Um, now, U.S. Representative Ralph G. Warnock. Ralph you know, Warnock, yeah, in Yes, Georgia. pastor of Atlanta Ebenezer Baptist Church, you know, and it's interesting. About a year or so ago, I was a part of an interfaith group from the Jewish Federation where we went down to Atlanta, then Alabama. We did all those things on civil rights, and we sat in his church and listened to him preach. And I was disturbed by a text that came out on I think it was Easter, and I think the text read like this. It says, the meaning of Easter is more transcendent than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Whether you are a Christian or not, though a commitment to help others, we are able to save ourselves. Now, I think that's utterly ridiculous. If that was what happened, I wasn't there. I don't know if he texted or somebody else texts. I've had situations, and I'm not apologizing. I've had situations where other people use my text to do things because sometimes I'm not as savvy as others. But I would say, Alex, that I totally agree. I mean, disagree. I totally disagree that you can substitute Jesus Christ's death, burial, resurrection to get into heaven as a Christian versus someone who says just by good works by good works, taking care of the social justice. I think, and social justice is a big thing in the black community, but if my friend, and I say friend, someone who I respect, Reverend Warnock tweeted that, I totally disagree with that. What's your thoughts on that? Well, you know, he's also the same guy who uh, a few months ago said that um, the Bible has always supported abortion. And I believe that he has taken some of the positions that he has is because wanting to be um, a rising star in the Democrat Party, he's tried to be all things to all people. Um, Because, you know, Biden famously said in January of 2020, quote, there is no place in the Democrat Party for someone who is not pro-choice. Now, uh, Ralph... Ralph Biden also said 
if you don't vote for him, you ain't black, which is I, crazy too. I, I, which I, is utterly crazy. I'm black, and some of the stuff Biden says is ridiculous. Oh, I, but I again, know. he's still my president. I still voted exactly. for him, so let me be quiet. Yeah, he is my president too. I didn't vote for him, uh, but I do pray for him and I respect <laughs> him. Alex, he was, you, you call the Lord on him? Do what now? You told the Lord on him, Alex. Yeah. Well, no. I I want Biden to be blessed. I want him to have wisdom from God. I want him to lead, you know. So here's the deal. I didn't vote for Biden, but that doesn't mean I, I want any bad thing to happen to him. Obviously, I'm going to pray for him because I want him to lead the country in a godly and constitutional way. But my point is, like, I'm amazed that black people could support Biden. Uh, if if you ain't, you know, if you're not Democrat, you ain't black. Could you imagine the apocalypse that would happen if if a conservative white politician had said something like like that i mean you're right you're, you're hypocrisy you're absolutely right but but i want to i'm not directing you but i want to talk about warnock because yeah, yeah. warnock you're making a point here, here's the deal if you're a christian and especially if you're a christian minister okay job one is that you believe and follow and live by the scriptures the word of god and i would say this um and I look at Reverend Jesse Jackson. I look at another one of my heroes. Uh, people like Al Sharpton. Another one of my heroes. Politics trumps their fidelity to the Word of God. Ah! Let me be quiet. I'm sorry. Go ahead. So, so look at Raphael Warnock. All right, he's a minister of the gospel in one of America's most historic pulpits. I mean, not only a Christian, a minister, but in a very strategic, very historic pulpit, Ebenezer Baptist Church. Um, I've not been in the building. I've been to the building, but I've not been in the building. It wasn't open the day that I was We're going to have to go together. I I would love to. I mean, that's holy ground. That is holy ground. Let let me say this. The Bible says that um, those that are the ministers will be judged all the more harshly because we influence people. Now, look, no preacher that knows the Word of God would dare say that abortion is okay in the eyes of God. No preacher that believes the Bible could ever be okay with homosexual marriage. And certainly, he said in that tweet, and because I was an English major, I was a philosophy major, words mean things. He said, Easter is much more transcendent than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, the word transcendent usually means universal, pervasive. I would imagine, whether he tweeted it or one of his staff, he probably was trying to be all things to all people. But then for a minister of the gospel, because clearly, according to the Bible, there is no salvation apart from Jesus. And I know you believe that, and I believe that. So we can save ourselves through compassion or good works or, or social justice wokeness. Look, I prayed for him. Because he better get straight before he faces the Lord Jesus one day. And he has prostituted his position for political gain. Raphael Warnock is, is a false teacher if he is willing to always um, spin his words to go along with the Democrat Party narrative. Let me know when I can respond. Please oh, yeah, let go, me know jump when I can in, respond. Jump, jump in. Um, okay. Um, I disagree with you on 
Reverend Warnock being a false teacher. I disagree with the fact that the Democratic Party is any better or any worse than the Republican Party. I think that you have folks who do what they do. Uh, Reverend Warnock, I don't know him personally, but what I do know about him is that he is a great leader and highly well-respected in Atlanta. And I think it's interesting that we can have this conversation in a very civil way, because a lot of it, when you look at where we are going, because the fact that when you look at Georgia, the state of Georgia has been this whole in the middle of the storm. We went from elections to the fact that the presidential election, well, no, let me even go back before that. Right. Stacey Abrams and the current governor of Georgia had a race, and things didn't go quite the way people think it should have went. People think it was some shenanigans happening, but that's, that's politics. So Stacey Abrams, a black female, who nobody even heard of before that, went back and went to work. And for two years, she worked hard, okay? Now the presidential election comes up and the turnout for Georgia was tremendous, okay? So it didn't turn out the way other people thought it should in the presidential election, that's fine. And then you had a runoff for the Senate. That same little black girl, Stacey Abrams, right? She empowered her folk and was the tip of the spear and people were furious at her. But now in the runoff, you had two senators from the state of Georgia from the Democratic Party that was elected. Now we know one person's name, but quite frankly, I can't even remember the other gentleman's name. But either way, now you go into the fact that they're real upset. And even now, cancel culture says that the Republican Party wants to cancel out the governor of the state of Georgia because he didn't do some things that other people wanted him to do with the presidential election. And he allowed, quote unquote, back to you talking about free society, talking about uh, scrubbing and censorship. And what's that word you use when, you, when people think, tell you what to think or do? But Put in, police, thought police. Thought police. So the citizens of Georgia said, we're going to elect Reverend Warnock they did, Georgia did, I didn't, as a North Carolinian didn't vote for him, you did, as North Carolina didn't vote for him, but the citizens of Georgia, the citizens of Georgia said, this is our guy. Now, Georgia says, in response, because the pendulum always swings, Georgia state representative said, we're gonna change the rules, and say so they changed the rules, okay? Now, Major League Baseball said, and some other major corporations said, well, we're gonna leave. And people are like, oh, no, 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 you can't leave. Don't take your money with you. And they're like, so now we're going to cancel them out. Now we're going to boycott. I think that's the term that a past leader said, let's boycott Major League Baseball, back to censorship, yeah. boycotting. Let's boycott uh, Delta Airlines. Let's boycott some of these other corporations. So, Alex, where does it stop? Or does it stop where we don't like what someone did? And to your point, I agree with you. If we don't stop it, it will stop us. Well, so yeah. that, that's my point. Yeah, good, good point, good point. Oh, wait a minute now, wait a minute, Alice, wait a minute. Good point. Now, we we love each other enough that you said that the good pastor prostituted himself. And 
I think that was a low blow. However, I love you enough for you to say whatever you say, and it's your opinion, and I agree that you have the right to your own opinion. But at the same time, we have people here who troll us, who who have emailed us, and rightfully so. We, we're, big, we're big enough to handle it that we use the name of God too loosely, or we did this, and trust me, after this one hits, I'm sure that we're going to get... Um, <laughs> well, well, <laughs> you know, uh, it's going to be interesting. Uh, go a ahead. Minute, a, a minute ago, you said uh, Raphael Warnock was a great leader. Y you know what I think would um, make him a great leader? He's a Democrat. What if he said to his Democrat colleagues, um, look, I get it. We're trying to uh, represent people. We're trying to serve the needs of people. Um, we've got constituents and we want to look after them. Uh, so let's let's become the Democrat Party uh, that we were, where we believed in God and morality. Let's be the Democrat Party that was. Uh, we might have disagreed across the aisle with Republicans, but there's something larger than e any of us that unites us, and that's the Constitution and the moral code. Um, let me say this: I honestly believe. If, if Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. were around, he would pull Raphael Warnock aside and say, hey, brother, look, in, in all of your um, success as a politician, let's not forget the Bible is the word of God. And we, I mean, I know from reading Dr. King well enough to know that he would have, he would have kept the gospel, the gospel. But let me, let me go back, and I, I'll, I know I seem like a repeating record, but when it comes to cancel culture or a society that is not racist, a society where not only everybody has equal opportunity, but we love our neighbor and we give a helping hand where we can, that, for lack of a better word, let's call it that, that better day. We're all after the better day, right? What is going to achieve it is not trying to control what people are exposed to or what people see or think. Um, we've got to get back to that common ground of morals. And I know this is Alex's hobby horse, but Jefferson referred to self-evident truth. Uh, George Washington talked about natural law. John Adams talked about Moses and the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. Now, we've got the, the Constitution, and that's separate, but the agreed upon philosophy that the founders built this nation on, you go to the Supreme Court, you see it. You go to the rotunda of the Capitol, you see it. Oliver Washington, these two tablets called the Ten Commandments. Now, part of the reason that we're in this crazy, weird place is we in America have done things that we know are contrary to the law of God written on every heart. Deep in our heart, we know adultery is wrong. We know that abortion is wrong. We know that homosexuality is against nature. Now, here's the deal. Listen carefully, people. If you want to be gay, atheist, or a player, go for it. You can do it. If you want to sleep around, if you want to be homosexual, if you want to live a destructive life that goes against your conscience, you're free to do that. But what we can't do, or we really shouldn't do, is legitimize the things that deep in our conscience go against moral truth. Because 
as we tear down morality, we're actually empowering people to live contrary to what a civil society is all about. And, and I know that's, that's deep in the philosophical weeds, but the answer is not to police and censor and cancel culture. The answer that every leader, every professor, every teacher, every parent, every pastor, really every elected official, we must have a moral America where we realize there are right and wrong and we're all accountable to God. I, I, I agree. And I don't think that you are too deep in the weeds. I think that our listening audience has been with us long enough to understand. And in closing out, one of the things, well, wrapping up, like we would say, one of the things is this, Martin Luther King Jr., when he was in the midst of everything he was doing, from his letter from the Birmingham jail sure. to walking over the Edmund Pettus Bridge to John Lewis getting his head cracked open, all that would have been canceled culture to the point of what's Justin was right. A lot of times what's Justin was right is what's white. Instead of right, R-I-G-H-T is white, W-H-I-T-E. Martin Luther King Jr. and all the people who got beat up, who got killed, who got murdered, who, who all the things that happened on their seeking their rights, their God-given rights as an America, the right to vote, the right to be seen as human, those people stepped through to the point of getting killed and laid out there. So what would happen? And one of the things that happened, and I'll be quiet. Oh, you're good. One of the things that happened that really turned this thing around was the fact that the whole world got a chance to see the dogs biting the children, mm -hmm. the fire holes knocking people over, the fact that horses and billy clubs were splitting innocent, nonviolent black people, hitting them in the head. And that's something, Alex, when the world gets to judge it, not what we tell them, because you talk about censorship. A lot of times it was the point that white America was in control of the media and censorship was theirs. Now, with George Floyd, we are right now, censorship is not there because the, the people has it in their hands. The person, the little young lady who took the video, and I look yeah. at George Floyd's face, America looks at it. We look at Derek Chauvin, I think that's his yeah. name. We look at his face, and then we look at America's face. Who's on trial here? Is George Floyd on trial? He's dead. Is the police officer on um, law enforcement on trial, or is America on trial? So it's at probably the end of both. the day, well, I, I don't know. We'll see how it comes out. Yeah. Because everyone got a chance to see it for themselves, and when people get to see for themselves, think for themselves, and make decisions for themselves, that's not cancel culture, that's reality. But I love you and I love having these conversations with you because totally we disagree on so many things, but we don't what we don't disagree on is the fact that we love each other Amen. and we work with each other. And I hear you, Alex. I hear you, Odell. You're a human being. I respect you. You're a Christian. You're a friend. And I so believe in the power of truth that truth ultimately will prevail. I'm not afraid for what is said and what is out there, because there's a God in heaven, and he is the foundation of truth, and truth and love will prevail. I hear you, Odell. Folks, I want to say thank you for listening. Um, we appreciate all your feedback. Let us hear from you. Agree, disagree, uh, thought-provoking, uh, you can reach us. I hear you, that's with a Y-A, I hear you, 
www.thinkingmusicsmartmoney.show. And uh, hey, share with social media, tell people about the program, and let us hear from you. Uh, and please know that we're grateful for you listening.